spiritual gifts, and we're in an introduction series to the gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts. And each message uh, that we're preaching in this particular series will one day, no doubt, be expanded into an entire series of, of their own. But for this particular series, I'm laying down a basic foundation upon which we can grow as a church in this matter of spiritual gifts. And our theme verse, uh, starting last week, was taken out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. And the Apostle Paul writes, and let's read it together, our, our theme verse together. Here we go. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, <clears throat> I do not want you to be ignorant. Last week we cover, discovered two key things about spiritual gifts. And the first one was that all the spiritual gifts are still here. They're still in play, including the miraculous gifts. And the second thing that we discovered about spiritual gifts and that we talked about last weekend uh, was the purpose for spiritual gifts. And we said that there are two reasons. And the first one is to build up or edify the church. That's the first way we use it. I won't go into explaining it. If you haven't heard the message, it's a foundational kind of or cornerstone message for the series. You want to pick up a, a DVD or a CD or something or go online, you can uh, listen to it there. And the second purpose for the spiritual gifts is to move back or push back the powers of evil in, uh, in our personal lives, in, in marriages, in families, in our communities, our churches, in our, in our region, in our country. And uh, that's what we said there for. This week, we're, we're talking about the gift of healing. So before we do, we're going to have a word of prayer. But before we go to prayer, I have to make a couple of remarks for the prayer. Uh, I believe that as believers, if we're going to be effective in being Christ followers, then we're going to have to, then we're going to have, be, have to be humble enough to receive what God has for us. And that means well, all of us come with a set of prejudices and biases and man-made ideas, sometimes our own ideas, about what truth is. And the truth of the matter is, if, the, if we had it all right, if the church in Canada had it all right, then we'd certainly see a whole lot of different fruit, wouldn't you think? I, I would think so. Therefore, we know the adage that says, if... Um, if you continue doing what you've always been doing, don't expect different results. That means there has to be a change in our thinking. There has to be a change in our practice. Somewhere something isn't adding up entirely. So when we go before the Lord and say, we want to hear what your word has to say, we're asking the Holy Spirit to come and interpret his word and help us to understand it. We can't understand it unaided. That's what the scriptures teach us. And uh, Jesus said before he left, he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and he's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to help you to understand. He didn't say, just read your Bibles and you'll understand everything. No, you won't. And no, I won't. And so we have to come as, as people of humility. If we have this, uh, these predetermined ideas in our, in our hearts and our minds that we've got it all straight, then God can't teach us anything. But if we come holding some of our, our belief systems loosely in our hands and saying, Holy Spirit, we, we open up our hands to you and if there's something in there that isn't right, take it out in this service and replace it with what is actually truth. Then we will, become, then we will continue to become different people and a different church and we'll have great impact here in this region and beyond. So that's what we're praying about right now as we're going into, into this matter of spiritual gifts because there's all kinds of strange ideas out there about what these spiritual gifts are all about. And we want to find out what the Scripture has to say and what God's really trying to tell us about them, all right? So let's bow for a word of prayer with that in mind. Oh God, we're telling you that we're humbly bowing before you now, not just with our bodies but with our hearts, with our wills and saying, that if, if we've got some of this wrong, we want to get it right. So that we can be transformed by the power of your word in our, working in our lives. And that, that, we, that truly the spirit, the spirit and the spiritual gifts that you desire to pour out on us. That will edify the body, make it much stronger. And push back the powers of darkness which are really evil and which are very powerful in themselves can actually be accomplished. So we're submitting ourselves to you and inviting you to change our minds and our hearts about what, you, what, what we sometimes think. 
so that we can come in alignment with your thoughts and with you and carry out your purposes for our lives and for you and not work counter in in a cross-purpose way. So we'll thank you for what you're going to do as we ask for this. We ask for wisdom and insight and understanding and attention. In Jesus' name, and everybody agreed by saying, Amen. All right. In 1 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, To one that is given through the Spirit, the gifts of healing. Of course, that's taken from a whole list of gifts that he mentions. Everyone who belongs is a member of the body of Christ receives a spiritual gift. Now, let me begin by saying, as we're talking about the gift of healing, that God does heal. Sometimes through medical means and sometimes supernaturally. And for example, could you give you many examples, but in just, uh, uh, personal examples as well as church examples here. In Denver, <clears throat> at a conference in Denver, 2006, Fran and I were attending. And uh, uh, in this one particular session in the afternoon, the speaker was talking about this matter of healing. And so he invited everybody at that uh, conference who ne- wanted prayer for healing to get up and move to the outer uh, and stand along the the outer walls of that uh, large conference room. Then he invited the rest of us uh, who were were seated to pair off so that you had two praying per person who wanted prayer for healing uh, around the room. And so uh, Fran was with a group of uh, three women. She was part of a group of three women. And uh, one woman there had a, her right ear didn't, uh, c- couldn't hear anymore because of a, a scuba diving accident uh, many years previous. And she, she had no hearing out of that particular ear. And she asked for prayer for healing for that particular ear. And so uh, Fran uh, laid her hand on the, on, on the right ear. And then uh, with the instructions giving, given, she listened in prayer to see if the Holy Spirit had anything he wanted to say. Uh, before she prayed for healing for this ear. And right then she received a picture of the inner ear and could see that it was being healed. She'd never seen a picture of an inner ear before, but and uh, she couldn't believe what she was seeing. And she assumed it meant that this woman, that God wanted to heal the, the inner ear. And so she prayed accordingly. And when she was finished praying, uh, she asked the woman if, there, if she noticed any change. And the woman said, no, I... Uh, I don't notice any change at all. I, I can't hear a thing. So Fran just assumed that she must have misinterpreted what she had seen, and, and uh, she just brushed it off. And that's a, that's a humble way of dealing with it, because we're all growing in the gifts, right? We all grow in the gifts. We don't, if you have a gift of teaching, that doesn't mean you just, you're just a, a first-rate teacher just because you have a gift of teaching, or leading, or helps, or any, in whatever area it is, intercession, whatever. We need to grow in these gifts. She just brushed it off and said, well, I guess I didn't get it right. Well, uh, that, ni- uh, that night, the woman was, uh, well, no, the next morning, the woman uh, c- uh, came looking for us. In fact, she found me first, and she said, where's your wife? And uh, I said, well, she'll be with me here in just a couple minutes. She said, I've got some exciting things to tell you. I, I had no idea who this woman was. And uh, Fran came, uh, came shortly after, and, and this woman was so excited, and she grabbed Fran, and she was so excited, and she said, I can hear uh, out of my right ear. And I can hear very well. Well, Fran said, what, well, what happened? And she said, on the, on the drive home in Denver that night, uh, it was raining. And uh, suddenly she thought she was hearing out of her right ear. She could hear rain out of her right ear. So she decided to pull over to the side of the road and test it. You know, cover one ear and listen with the other and then cover the other one. And, te- and what she discovered that was not only could she hear out of the right ear, she could hear better now out of the right ear than the left. I think what she really wanted was prayer for the left ear now. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, uh, one time we were in the uh, old building and, and we were working during the week and a, a woman called and she said, uh, I've been diagnosed with cancer and, and, um, and uh, I would like to come and receive some prayer. My children want to come with me and would you consider doing that? Yes, absolutely. And we put it together, a little team of staff, I was with them. And uh, over that noon hour the, that, that we set aside, we prayed for this woman with cancer, and nothing, nothing happened while we were praying, nothing spectacular or anything like that. And uh, the woman left and thanked us for praying over her, and we went about our business and, and didn't hear from her for the next few months, and frankly, just completely forgot about it. And then several months later, I, I happened to bump into her, and uh, she said, oh, by the way, 
did I ever tell you what happened to me? I said, no, what happened to you? She said, remember a few months ago, you prayed for, uh, you, you, you and a team prayed for healing in my cancer. No, I, I, I don't know what happened. And she said, I'm cancer free. And it's gone. And uh, she was very excited. She's still in the church many years later here, right here at Southland. I see her from time to time here. And she's occasionally uh, brought, that, brought that to my attention. So we're growing in this matter for the, for the, as we pray for the sick in our cells, in our prayer summits, in our retreats. We regularly pray for, for people who are in, our, uh, in these places. And we're doing it at such a level where, uh, you know, with this matter of spiritual gifts, everybody can operate in pretty much all the gifts, most of the giftings to a certain level. Like, for example... The scriptures tell us that there's a gift of giving. We're going we're, we're gonna to see this. There's a big list of all the different gifts. Uh, do you believe that there's a gift of giving, church? Yeah, absolutely. But did you know that everybody can give? Aren't you glad? <clears throat> but then there are certain ones that have a gift, and God's given them the ability to make maybe a certain amount of money, or, and, and they just have this desire. They just live in that. And I know some people here by name. In fact, I just spotted one as I was sweeping, uh, sweeping across the auditorium in this section. Uh, who is who is really known for his for his gift of giving, and has been for years, and uh, they, a, a person can have a gift of teaching. But you can be a mother, a dad. You may not be a big L teacher, but you can teach. You can teach your kids, right? Another child can teach another child. Same thing with leadership. Same thing with administration, and so on and so forth. So there's this whole matter of intercession and all of these kinds of gifts, even uh, this gift of healing. Everybody can pray for the sick. Amen? We can all do that. Lay hands on. We can anoint them with oil. We can pray for sick. And sometimes we see things happening. But then there are certain people that God has gifted in a certain way that when they pray for some reason, there's more healing happening than anybody else. And usually they've got it in a particular area. They, they, they will often be, that's why it, calls, uh, it talks about the different gifts of healing. And they, 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 they'll pray in a particular area. You know, the, this kind of area, if you come to them, you pray that, and they see a, a, a fair number of healings there, and they don't see that many over in, this, in another area. Okay? That's how it works. And then we'll see in certain gifts throughout the series as we, as we move on, then there's certain gifts that not only have the lower level and then the medium level where they got a gift, uh, you know, particular gift, because we all have a particular gift. We all have another level in something or some things. <clears throat> then there are certain ones, as we'll discover, that uh, they've grown so much in it, the church recognizes that they have an office in that particular area. But that's another whole topic. It's going to be a very interesting topic. Now, well, we're, uh, we're growing in this thing over the last, uh, you know, half dozen years, whatever, and uh, what, we're, what we plan to do very shortly is to form a team of gift, uh, people who have, are gifted in this particular area, form a seminar, a tra- some training materials so that they can grow in this and learn more about it and, and practice it and then have uh, you know, some leadership and accountability and that kind of thing, kind of like we do with some of our prophetic people, which I'll tell you about in another, series, uh, in another, in another message as well. Um, and, and we plan to do that. But there's something that we have to get straight before we go too far, and God's not going to allow us uh, to see as much as we could until we get some training here. And the reason is this. Uh, the enemy the enemy is very, very powerful. And he causes a lot of trouble. And there's a lot of evil in the world. And if you're going to take some of his territory... He is going to fight back. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, he's going to really fight back. People who say, well, just become a Christian and all your problems go away. That's in heaven, not here. In fact, if you want to be a true Christ follower, you're going to find that you're going to have, you're, you, may have, you may see an increase in some of your challenges and problems. But the good thing is we've got a God that goes with us and fills us with His Spirit and enables us and empowers us so that we can handle it. Amen? And uh, we're going to get to a little bit of that a little later in the message. But if we're going to take on the enemy, guess what? As this church grows, not only in numerically, but spiritually, and becomes more powerful, and it is getting more powerful. It is having impact on people that have been in bondage and that kind of stuff. The enemy doesn't take that lightly. And we are getting pain, 
you know, there's a big target being painted on our backs. He doesn't, the enemy doesn't work like this. Well, you're starting to invade some of my territory, so I'll just pack my bags and leave quietly. Oh, no. He turns around, then he fights back. And so uh, that's how he does it. So if we're going to grow in this matter of of the spiritual gifts, we need powerful weapons to to push them back. This is what we were talking about last week. But guess what? If you put, if you take a submachine gun, a loaded one, and and put it in the hands of a four-year-old, that's a dangerous thing. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, this gun has has a lot of uh, you know potential to do some things that you want it to do, but you don't want to put it in immature hands. Amen. And the same thing with the spiritual gifts. They're very powerful and even a gift of healing. If, if, if God is going to entrust a church and if he's going to entrust certain individuals with it to do it the way we see in the New Testament, then he has to put it in the hands of mature people who aren't going to use it to destroy other people and hurt other people. And let me show you what I mean. Here's a key question that we're going to have to ask. And this, this pertains to the picture that I just painted for you. Here's the key question. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because we can't talk about... We, we have to have safety training. You know, kind of like hunter safety training. Before you put a gun in somebody's hand. Amen? So they don't hurt somebody. Friendly fire and all of that. And we have to get some hunter safety training from God before he's willing to give us some of these powerful weapons. Uh, Otherwise, we can do so much damage. So here's the question. Here's some of our ground training, our safety training right now. This is the question we have to answer. Does God desire to heal believers always? Those who follow the prosperity gospel say that it is God's will for every believer to be healed of all physical illnesses in this lifetime always. They say that it is never God's will that a believer suffer, ever. But as you'll discover in this message, we're going to take a very different tact from that. In fact, that's an unbiblical view as you're going to discover in just a moment. We're going to discover what the, what, what the truth is and, and, uh, so, that, so that we don't cause trouble. And here's the problem. Those proponents of the prosperity gospel, and I've seen these things happen. Everything that I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you four problems. I'll show you that when you put a powerful weapon in immature hands, what kind of damage it can do in this matter of healing. Problem number one. Some proponents of the prosperity gospel heap shame and guilt on people who are already suffering by blaming them for not having enough faith, or worse, for having hidden sin in their lives. So somebody's suffering, they're very sick, and and what I mean by that is somebody else walks up to them and says, the reason you're suffering is because there's hidden sin in your life, or because you lack faith in your life. So now they heap shame and guilt on the person who's already carrying a burden of suffering. Does that sound Christ-like? No, it sure doesn't to me. My mother-in-law uh, suffered for many, many years uh, with a, uh, a congenital heart problem in which her heart would race, I mean unbelievably. And she would often be rushed to the hospital. For years this happened. And uh, until they discovered a, a, a way of dealing with it and, and took her to London, Ontario, where we were living, at, uh, we were living very close uh, to there, and they cut off a piece of the heart which was causing the problem, and she never had another problem. Uh, after that, with that. And, uh, but uh, someone near to her, many years ago, s- walked up to her one day and said, the reason you're, God's not healing you in this is because you don't have enough faith. Oh, it, it created tremendous pain in her, in her spiritual heart. <clears throat> there are leaders in our, in our church, and we've got many leaders. Uh, we've, got, we've got paid leaders and unpaid leaders, and we've got many of them. And uh, one, of the, one of the fine leader couples in our church uh, lost a son when he was 21 years old many years ago. And someone, not that long ago, walked up to him and said, it's your fault. He died uh, from, from MS. And uh, that's a horrible thing. That's just a horrible thing to say. Now, this is what I want to say. I want to I leave you with some grace. If you've ever said one of those things, if you repent before God, he, he can forgive that too. But it is a despicable thing. Would you agree? 
And we can't do it. See what happens when it's, it's placed in the hands? Here's problem number two. Prosperity gospel discourages people from growing in suffering. Since, according to prosperity gospel, all suffering is bad and not God's will, you should never accept any suffering, but rather fight it. And uh, we'll see that this is not a, a biblical view at all in just a few moments. Problem number three, when followers of the prosperity gospel are not healed, some of them become disillusioned with God and some even leave the faith. Because if you really believe that God, the only way that God is good is if He heals you all the time and takes care of all, you know, and wipes out all your problems in this short life, and then something bad happens to you, then obviously either there is no God or God is bad. True? That's what's going to happen. So people then walk away from their faith. And problem number four, the prosperity gospel promotes an unhealthy preoccupation with health and wealth in this lifetime as opposed to the eternal lifetime that we're all waiting and living for. That's going to go on forever and ever. So what does the Bible teach us about suffering and healing in this lifetime? I'm going to give you a very condensed version this morning. We have a 28-page position paper that uh, Chris and I co-authored together and has been posted on the website. You can just download it there and do whatever. Just don't sell it unless you give me some of the proceeds. (coughs) I'm always happy for proceeds. Here's point number one. Suffering is given by God for our good. And we're going to see that in just a moment. And there's three things I want to say about that. We're going to look at the person of Job in establishing this truth. Job credited God for the calamity in his life. Notice I didn't say he blamed God for the calamity in his life. He credited God for the calamity in his life. Job, a wealthy and God-fearing man, woke up one day, a day like so many blessed days he had enjoyed before, and he didn't know on that beautiful sunrise day with the birds singing and the air crisp and fresh, he didn't know that by nightfall his world would be turned upside down. Some of you have experienced that, though never to that extent. In three separate incidents <coughs> that day, it was reported to him that his business interests had been completely wiped out. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and all but three of his many, perhaps hundreds of employees to look after all that. Now that is a bad day, would you agree? that's a really bad day. But the worst was yet to come. Um, Another messenger arrived later in the day, arrived at the door to tell him that his seven sons and his three daughters had all been killed in a freak storm. That is not only a bad day, that is a devastating day. Amen? Now, before we go any further, I want, to, I want to say this, because I've occasionally heard people say something about this. They, they're very quick to jump to the end of Job and say, oh yeah, but Job got it all back. That, first of all, doesn't minimize the suffering till he got it, because he wasn't guaranteed he was getting any of it back. But number two, I want to ask you about his children. If you have four children, and uh, one of them, or let's say two of them, die... And now you get pregnant and you get two more. Are you all completely happy after that? Because it doesn't matter that Chris and Julie died because I got another two. Help me. No. There's a massive hole left in in you. And I'm going to tell you, when he lost his seven sons and his three daughters, there was a hole left in his heart. And just because he got... More sons and daughters later didn't make up for the ones that he knew by name and loved and coddled and spent all the time with. Amen? This was true suffering. All right? Now, who does God, I mean, no, who does Job identify as the one who did it? Let's read it. Then Job arose, tore his robe. Shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord, what? So far, so good. Amen? So far, so good. The Lord gives. He blesses. Amen? Oh, but it doesn't end there. And the Lord, what? Has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Now, who does Job say took away his kids, his wealth, his home, his everything? Was it Satan? Help me. No. Uh, He doesn't say that. Was it bad people who took it? No. Was it bad luck? No. Was it faithlessness, prayerlessness, or sin on Job's part? No. No. None of those. God himself was the one who took away all that Job had. That's what Job says. Of course, Satan was the one who carried it out, but only because he had permission from God. This scripture clearly teaches that ultimately... God was responsible for everything that happened to Job. Nothing happened to Job that wasn't God's will for him. Moreover, the writer of Scripture explicitly says that Job did not charge God with wrong. Now that's amazing. Not only does Job say God took it away, because anybody can say that, and then get mad at God and shake the fist to the heavens. Job says God did nothing wrong when he took it all away. That's an amazing faith statement, wouldn't you say? He didn't blame God for taking away. away. I mean, he, uh, he didn't do that. He didn't charge him. Essentially, he said, God took everything I have from me, but it was his right to do so since it was all his to begin with, and I didn't deserve any of it. And then he says in verse 21, he says, Naked I came into this world. Do you think you did? Would you agree with that? Oh, you were naked as a jaybird. <laughs> And apparently, you're going out the same way. With nothing. With nothing. But Job recognized it in the middle of his lifetime, not just at the end of his life. He said in the middle of his life, he he had lost just about everything. God gives and God takes away because it's his to begin with. It's not ours to begin with. This was a breathtaking... Excuse me for just a minute some pneumonia that I'm fighting and uh, so if I make noises just ignore them if they're gross just plug your ears (laughs) essentially he said God took everything uh, I have because it's his now this was a breathtaking acknowledgement by Job of God's sovereignty in the midst of intense suffering God was responsible for the blessing in, in Job's life and God was also responsible for his what suffering God was responsible for the blessing in his life, and he was responsible for his suffering. Amen. And in all of it, God was good and God was right. That's what Job said in the middle of it. Well, there's a second thing that uh, we learn about Job in the middle of this. Job also suffered greatly, though he was blameless. So we say, okay, so God takes, him, takes away, and God is good in what he does, but then it means Job must have been bad. That's why God did it. Because the prosperity gospel proponents reject the notion that suffering is ever God's will, they must always find fault in the person who is suffering. They reason like this. Since God doesn't want believers to suffer, I don't know where they get that, but because they start with a wrong premise, look where it leads. The only reason anyone suffers is that they've either done, done or are doing something wrong. But the book of Job clearly shows this thinking to be false. Again, back to what the scriptures say. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? Oh, now watch this. He is the what? Finest man in all the earth. Number one. Number two, he is? Number three, a man of complete? Wow. He fears and he stays away from? Five times the scriptures try to emphasize and demonstrate that this was an incredibly blameless, righteous man. Can you claim to be all those five things? I don't know about you, but... Well, I can, but you... uh, (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You say, we know you, Ray. (laughs) We know where you live. (laughs) Oh, boy. I wish I could just be on TV. (laughs) You wouldn't see me. The Bible is clear that Job was blameless and upright in God's sight. Not many people in history could claim that. There was nothing wrong with Job's thought life, his speech, his behavior, yet God allowed or brought tremendous suffering into his life. The prosperity gospel believes that we always reap what we sow. Now I want to ask you a question. Do we reap what we sow? 
Yeah, sure we do. We reap what we sow. Scripture says we do. We know it from experience as well. Uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday who knew knew of a person who's dying from cancer, and and they're still smoking two and a half packs of, of cigarettes a day. Well, is there some reaping and sowing going on here? Even the world tells us that. Tell us that in the ads. Don't do it. There is reaping and sowing. But the question isn't uh, whether we reap or sow. The question is, do we always reap what we sow? That's the question. The prosperity gospel says yes. But if we always reaped what we sow, then wicked people would always suffer and righteous people would always prosper. Is that true? (laughs) I don't think it is. The Bible and our experience both teach us that the righteous often suffer and the wicked often what? Prosper. Job himself said that. Why? He was complaining to God, why do the wicked what? Growing old and powerful. David wondered the same thing, Psalm 73. The whole thing is given over to, to David talking about this issue. He's wrestling with the issue. He says, I'm being chased and uh, chased around. I'm a righteous, upright man. I'm being chased and hounded to death. And, and then there's the wicked ones, and they live easy and grow old and they prosper and they do well. God, this isn't fair. That's what he was saying. Here's the third thing we learn about Job in the middle of the suffering, on this point that it is for our good. It says that Job, we learn that Job worshipped in suffering because he believed that God is good. Prosperity people think that a God who wills for his followers to suffer must be evil. They can't reconcile God's allowance of suffering with their picture of what a loving father should be. They would never respond to suffering the way Job did. Look at how Job responded to uh, suffering. Now, Some people, when they suffer, they whine. Others complain. Others get angry and they shake their fist at heaven or they swear or they do something. Look at Job's response. It says, got up, tore his robe and shaved his head. Sounds like a man so far. Then he fell to the ground in worship. That's amazing. Why did he respond with worship? Because he understood that even when we don't see the whole picture, God is always good to us, even in suffering. Let's read this uh, next verse, which is very familiar to many Christians, together. Here we go, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things... Yay, very good. You did the emphasis. That was good. You knew where that was going. God works for the... Of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. How many things? Does that include suffering? Yes, it does. It includes suffering. Apparently, suffering can be for our good, our eternal good. Now, here's how it works. And I'm going to give you just one example to to trace this thing through. One of the things that the Scriptures teach us that suffering is good for, for us, is perseverance. And you're going, whoopee. Just what I wanted to hear. I'm suffering really bad, and because of that, I get this thing called perseverance. Perseverance, perseverance. Who cares? James chapter 1 says it this way, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. But what's it for? It's to complete God's purposes in your life. Now follow me. Suffering is like weight training. It makes you stronger, more resilient, so that you can carry bigger and bigger weights and responsibilities without being crushed by them. Instead of quitting in the face of increasing pressures, uh, you'll move forward with increased determination. You'll finish like Jesus did. Now, uh, again, when the uh, th- this is this is what happens. The enemy is powerful. He doesn't like you. He fights against you. He wants to stop you. The more you're invading his territory and influencing other people for the kingdom, he doesn't like it. So he he presses in on you. He looks for excuses and asks God for permission to destroy you and cause you trouble and to stop what you're doing. Guess what? In the midst of a struggle like that, do you ever get tired? Amen. And do you ever just feel like quitting already? Do you ever feel like just coming up for a breath of fresh air? 
I mean, God is, you know, right about now I could use a break. Do you ever feel that way? Sure you do. And so we want to quit. And we want to quit in the battle. But you can't quit in the battle. That's the point. And so God has figured out a way, and, and the same thing happens in, in sports. You know, let's say the NFL, CFL, whatever you watch. But the, you, the football players, they get weight training, and they get, um, they get training so that they can endure, that they can persevere for a full 60 minutes, and that they don't run out of, out of air and energy and strength halfway through the game. Because if they do, they're going to what? Lose. Exactly. And you don't want to lose. Look at how, look what, how Jesus described his own life. He said, I've glorified you on earth. I have what? What's the word? Finished the work. I'm, I, I finished to the end of the game. The work which you have given me to, me to do. You know what happens to those who persevere to the end and complete the purpose for which they were made? Paul was another one of those finishers. Would you agree? It didn't matter what you threw at him. In 2 Corinthians uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, there's a whole list of things that happened to him. Man, any one of those would be enough to, to, to stop many Christians dead in their tracks. Amen? It didn't matter what you threw at the guy. He just kept on going. He was the energizer bunny. He just didn't stop for anything. Why? Because he had been trained through suffering to persevere, weight training. He was fit. He could make it all the way to the end. And look how he describes his end. He's in prison now, knowing he's being sentenced, apparently, to death. Martyrdom. He knows he's going to die. Now he's writing his last will and testament to his son in the faith, Timothy. He said, I have fought a good what? Fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. There is eternal rewards for finishers, for overcomers. You know in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 where the letters are written to the seven churches? And it says, uh, the Spirit says, uh, says to the churches, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. And then he says... Um, to him who overcomes, and then he gives a reward. He goes to the next church, right at the end, he says, and he does it with all seven. To him who overcomes, I will give this. To him who overcomes, I will give this. Finishers and overcomers are the same thing, and there's a reward waiting at the end. Now, a coach seems like a bad thing when he gives you fitness training, and he pushes you to the end, and you're gasping, and you, you figure he's just a taskmaster, and he's tough on you, and he's giving you weight training, and it's no fun. But when you win at the end, is he a good or a bad coach? He's a very good coach, isn't he? Everybody rallies around and says, Oh, thank you for giving us all that training so we could make it. God is a good God. Because he's a, a God who wants to make sure that you get enough fitness in you. He'll give you enough suffering. Allow enough so that you'll be fit so you can finish. And you can be an overcomer and you can make it to the end and receive your eternal reward. Oh. So God is good after all. Amen. Turn to someone next to you and say, God is good after all. Even in suffering. Well, not only is suffering <clears throat> given by God for our good, it is also given for His good. Prosperity Gospel claims that God only gets glory, or the most glory, when He heals His children of all sickness. But the Bible teaches the very opposite. God gets tremendous glory through the death and righteous suffering of His people. Philippians 1, it says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, listen to this, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by what? Life or by? By life or by death, then Christ will be what? Will be exalted. He will be honored. He will be glorified. Whether we die or whether we live. Whether we're healed or whether we're not. Now, I want to tell you a story. Uh, and Paul says they're equal. On Tuesday night, March 18th, 1980, in a packed 6,000-seat uh, church auditorium in Hammond, Indiana, 
the Reverend Don Parr was preaching. At age 42, he was dying of cancer, which had taken much of his jaw and throat. He had been transported from the hospital and and had been warned that if he left the hospital to preach that night, he would not come back alive. However, after consultation with his family, he chose to preach. He was brought to the stage. He was a guest preacher in this church. He was uh, brought to the stage in a wheelchair, hooked up to life-giving equipment. But at the foot of the stage, they unhooked him. They offered to carry him up the stairs to the platform and seat him near the, uh, at the podium. But he refused the offer and slowly made his way to the pulpit where he grabbed it and leaned against it. He made a few muffled opening remarks which no one could understand. But when he read the text for his message, and guess what the text for his message was that night? For me to live is Christ, and to die is, and here was a dying man. Everything suddenly changed. At that very instant, unexplainable life and energy filled this wasted and frail man's body, and he preached with great clarity and power. Everyone was on the edge of their seats. After the message, the pastor of that church rose and had an unusual invitation in which he said, I believe God is calling someone to pastoral ministry. One man rose, then another, and then another. And when the invitation was complete, 52 men had surrendered, young men had surrendered their lives for pastoral ministry. I was number 47. Do you think God was glorified through a dying man that night? Yeah. I mean, it was electricity in there. To see this man who, who, who shouldn't be able to stand there and the power of God working through him as long as he preached the word. When he made other comments, you couldn't understand a thing. Second Corinthians 4 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. They're easily broken, aren't they? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not what? Perplexed, but not in. Persecuted, but not. Struck down, but not. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that His life may be revealed in our mortal body so that death is at work in us, but life is at work in. Ha <laughs> ha. And look what happened. For Jesus' sake. That's the point of this, this point that we're making here. Only eternity will reveal how much good for God's kingdom came about because of that one dying man, a fragile jar of clay, who allowed the life of Jesus to be revealed in his body that night. And incidentally, he died just a few nights later. When 52 young men gave their lives for ministry and surrounding those 52 are... Elders in 52 churches and staffs in 52 churches and hundreds and thousands of non-paid ministers of the gospel like you, all pushing the kingdoms, uh, the dark, uh, the kingdom of darkness back in their regions. That's powerful, amen. Did suffering have an impact? It had a huge impact for Christ's kingdom. Paul says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in... God is looking for weak people. Did you know that? That he can shine his power through. All right, there's one last thing I want to talk about, just very briefly, and there's some practical don'ts in healing, so that God can entrust us, after our training that we're doing here, he can entrust us with his powerful weapon. What we've clearly seen thus far is that all the gifts, including healing, are still here. That God wants us to grow and walk in these gifts because as our benevolent Heavenly Father, He has given them to us to build up the church and push back the powers of evil and darkness. But the boundary for a ministry of healing is this. God does not intend to heal everyone on this side of heaven, period. Church, do we we understand that? Not everyone. He uses both. It's a both and, not an either or. It's not the tyranny. Let's not not get caught up in the tyranny of the either or. To say otherwise is to ignore a large swath of scripture 
is to heap shame and guilt on people who are already living with a great burden of suffering, is to ignore the glory God can receive in suffering, and is to entice people to exchange a focus on eternal matters for a focus on temporal or temporary matters. Job's three friends condemned their friend Job because of his suffering. Do you remember that? All through Job, that's all you're reading. How would you like to have friends like that? Oh, spare me. For all intents and purposes, they were the ancient equivalent to the modern-day prosperity gospel proponents. You know how God reacted to their callous responses to a righteous Job? God was not pleased. Listen to this. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, one of the three, I am, what? Angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. They were saying, God only makes good happen on on righteous people. So because you're suffering like this, Job, there must be sin in your life. That's what they said. And it says, God was angry with them. So here are three practical don'ts that I expect myself and every Southlander to live by so that we can grow, that God can entrust this gift to us and we can grow in it. Never, number one, lay a guilt trip on someone suffering by either implying or directly stating that their suffering must be due to some hidden sin. Do we agree with this one? Amen. So we're going to live by that and we covenant together. Number two. Never lay a guilt trip on someone suffering by either implying or directly stating that the suffering must be due to a lack of faith. Now, I could, man, we need a whole message just on that. But let me make this one clear statement. It often takes more faith to trust God in the night than it does in the light. Anybody can celebrate on a mountaintop when they've received some healing. But how about the person who is going through deep, tremendous suffering? Can they trust God when it's dark? Number three, never tell someone suffering that it is always God's will for them to be healed and not to suffer. I've seen people be told that, and right to the last gasp of their life, all they're doing is fighting for healing. And they could have been using it the way that Reverend Don Parr did. When God said, I'm going to take you, but I want to use the suffering to advance my kingdom. And they waste the glorious opportunity. So never tell anyone that. Amen? All right. Those are incredibly cruel things to say to someone already suffering. Here's the deal. If you hear someone doing this, I encourage you to lovingly but firmly confront them. I empower you to do it. Now, wait a minute. Just before you go out with that... There are some of you <laughs> that are confronters already. <laughs> you confront everybody and anything in your way all the time. There's not a week goes by in your life that you're not confronting somebody. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> the vast majority of us don't like to confront, amen? <laughs> That's who I'm talking about. And I already do. And I empower you to do the same. There's one more don't, but it's from the other side. If someone's, someone receives healing and you don't, never make those who have received healing feel ashamed or bad because you haven't received it. That would, be, that would not be mature on our part, would it? I, I, I want you to know. Uh, for, I mean, we're really excited about some of the things that are happening with Fran, and this particular issue is taken care of, and you know, one more week of meds, and we're all excited about it. But the truth of the matter is, the original problem is still not healed in her life. That's still not taken care of. But this is what I want to say to you: If God does something, and He does some miraculous things in our family, but that one area, He's just not touching right now. But this is what I want to say. If you receive something that's amazing, stunning, I don't want you to slink away and around us. I want you to come straight to us and tell us to your face, and we're going to celebrate even harder than you will. Amen, church? That's how we got to be. Because whether it's through healing or whether it's through suffering, Christ, the, the kingdom of darkness is pushed back, Christ is glorified, and that's all what it's about. Amen? Amen. 
If we can hold those two things in tension, the both and, then God is going to be able to entrust us with this weapon of healing. We're going to see many more supernatural healings. Stuff like we've never seen. I'm convinced of it in the years to come. So, let's wrap it up. Do you know what the problem with the prosperity gospel is? I believe it's a lack of perspective. I'm not angry at the people of the prosperity gospel, but with the issue of the prosperity gospel. It's a lack of perspective. You know, a couple of weeks ago, the Holy Spirit was talking to me, and this is what he said to me. Ray, he asked me a question. He said, Ray, if I decided to give Fran one blink of an eye longer to live in this life than you, would that upset you? <laughs> I chuckled. I said, blink of an eye? I mean, that's ridiculous. That's practically the same. And then he said, okay, good answer. He said, what if I decided to give you one blink of an eye longer to live than Fran? Do you think she'd be upset? And I said, no, Lord, that's ridiculous. No. We'd feel like we had died at the exact same time. Wouldn't make any difference. And then the Holy Spirit surprised me. I didn't know why he was asking me something like this. I kind of chuckled. And then he asked me this. He said, Ray, or he made this statement. He said, you know, Ray, in a thousand years from now, any suffering and any challenges you face now will be nothing but a blink of an eye. That's it. That's the perspective that's missing. My wife often has talked to me about this because I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't totally understand. But she says, she said, when, you're, when, a, when a woman is giving birth, you know, she's in labor and she's giving birth, the pain is so excruciating that she vows while she's giving birth she'll never have another child again. <laughs> How many vows have been broken? Because she said, and a year later, they're all having another child. She said, you know why it is? Because we forget so quickly. We know it in our heads, but we forget what it really was like. And we look at this baby and we say, man, it was so worth it. I'm having another one. God says about our suffering and our challenges, He said, that's exactly what it'll be like. Just a blink. You won't even remember it. You'll hardly remember that it even happened. It won't matter. Paul summed it up this way. He said, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, the blink, is preparing for us an eternal way to glory beyond all comparison. Amen? Let's bow for prayer and tell God that we covenant to hold intention the both and. To give Him all the glory in it and that we're saying to Him He can trust us with this powerful weapon because we won't misuse it. Because we got safety training today. Father, we want to say to you thank you for this course. Thank you for this training. Thank you for this teaching. To help us to understand. It's the tension of the both and. You receive honor and glory whether it's through healing or whether it's through suffering. Both can push back and have the potential to push it back. And so we praise you and thank you for showing that to us. And Lord, some of us had had some wrong ideas, and right now we're happy to throw those bad ideas out and receive your ideas. And those we're going to grab onto tight, on tightly to, and we're never going to let them go. Oh, Jesus, may we be found faithful, trustworthy, to be able to handle these powerful gifts of the Spirit. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.